0: The Athletic.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
2: It's happened again. Yes, welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic UK and how a win can change the mood on this podcast fickle absolutely not us today we'll be discussing fulham's 4-1 victory over queens park rangers the boys from shepherd's bush sent back firmly with their tail between their legs they may have been on form but they were no match for fulham yesterday in the west london derby with three second half goals sinking the hoops from w12 and it's a very happy podcast today and i'm glad to say it jack kelly is here hello hello you're grinning from ear to ear
0: yeah i'm i haven't been on the podcast since when we've won since liverpool away last season so happy to be here
2: oh my word geez i hadn't quite realized the uh (laughs) the significance whenever jack kelly is on uh, things go very very well uh dan cook hello Uh,
1: hello sammy how are we
2: doing yeah, not too bad, thank you. And Ben Jarman, hello.
3: Hello, Sammy James. I saw you yesterday. It's nice to see, speak to you two days in a row.
2: It is indeed. Um, this is probably where we should start, actually. I have to apologise to you on the record for what happened yesterday. Do you want to explain uh, to the listeners why I need uh, to
3: apologise? Well, Sammy very kindly, in the first instance, lent me his dad's ticket for the game yesterday. Um, Big Clive is out in Spain at the moment, enjoying himself. So he left me to look after Sammy for the day. So uh, obviously I arranged to meet Sammy outside the ground. And obviously Sammy is too big time presenting Radio 1 to get there on time. So I was waiting outside the ground for the first you know, 10, 15 minutes and uh, missed Mitrovic's goal. And then there I was, standing outside Craven Cottage, and I saw this clown running down Stevenage Road towards me going, have we missed anything? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did hear
2: the roar of um, yeah. all three sides of the ground just as I was leaving Bishop's Park to get onto Stevenage Road. And you know, I was just happy because Fulham were 1-0 up, but yeah, a little bit <laughs> annoyed. I, I, I am very sorry, Ben. Well, no, it's um, fine. my apology to you is letting you do the three word reviews today. How about that? Oh,
3: you're, s- you're so kind. All so, right. so kind. It's the you least know, gonna, I can do. I, I was going to do one. Obviously, I'm not on Twitter currently, and I was going to do one saying from at Ben saying, Sammy was late. But as we've already covered this, I think uh, <laughs> we'll just dive straight in. And, you know, I'm going to dive straight in actually with someone that is on the podcast now. And it's from Jack Kelly, who said, fuck your ambition, uh, which is actually true because we are better than you. Uh, nice. Bo E. Farrell, uh, Coach B. Farrell says, um, international break lifted, which I liked a lot um Paul Roberts said uh quickly past Rangers and Alex uh Pure Power who is uh, a friend of the pod and actually a regular at three World reviews uh, always seems to smash them says it's happened again and we retweeted all three of them because they were very very good
2: yeah very very nice three World reviews interested to see what becomes the podcast title today all right let's get into it then um Dan It was the perfect, perfect tonic to what happened at Coventry a couple of weeks ago. A 4-1 defeat there. We kind of spent the international break licking our wounds. So to come back with an emphatic win over our neighbours, but also informed neighbours as well. They've been very, very good this season Um, was absolutely what the doctor ordered.
1: Oh, absolutely! It was it was yeah, all round a great day. You know, turn up. It's been horrific weather all morning. Walk into the cottage, sun comes out. It was an absolute picture at the cottage yesterday. It was beautiful, uh, and I thought the atmosphere as well. I know we've been speaking about it quite a lot this season, but I thought the atmosphere yesterday was was fantastic. I mean, especially in that second half, in the hammy end, it was just it was a fantastic. Day And it was quite nice actually having it as a lunchtime kickoff because you're just walking on, walking on air for the rest of the day after that. It was uh, a lovely feeling.
2: Yeah, um, Jack. There was uh, several changes by Fulham. Uh, some of them enforced with with the likes of Decadova, Reed, and and Robinson um, not not starting because of their international exploits. Um, mm. It certainly didn't show um, later in the game. Cavalero on the left wing was a bit of a surprise choice, but of course, I think the biggest news was, was Marit Rodak back between the sticks. Uh, do you think it was the right decision? I, I thought he played pretty well yesterday, but didn't have an awful lot to do bar the goal, really.
0: Yeah, I think we're in that sort of situation where because you've got two very decent championship goalkeepers, um, if one makes a huge mistake or clangor of which he did against Coventry, then that's always going to give the opportunity for Mike Rodak to come in. And I thought it was the perfect game for Rodak to come in because if he gets a, Okay, he didn't get a clean sheet. But if he gets it in a good performance, uh, he would be he would be hyped up by the fans, and he would probably be the number one going forward, which I think he will be. And honestly, Rodak didn't have much to do whatsoever all game. Uh, great to see Tosin Adarabioye back into the team. I think he is the the main man at the back for us. And the reasons why we were so poor at Coventry is because I think we were missing his presence. John Serry back in midfield, beautiful, dictating play as always. And look. Seeing Caviera was slightly frustrating and I don't think he offered much before he went off. But what a day, what a fantastic derby and and QPR certainly went home uh, upset.
2: Yeah, uh, there was a comment from Jamie Faulkner, which um, wasn't really a question, so more than valid to put in here. But he just said, don't you feel safer and more relaxed with Rodak in goal, even though he didn't have much to do? And and I do agree. And, and I said this on a, on a previous pod that I don't really know why I want Marek to start. There's not an awful lot between him and Gazaniga, but I do just feel a little bit more comfortable with him in the net. Um, Jams, um, do you think it was the right call from from Silva? Uh, it's been on the cards for about a month now, it feels like.
3: Yeah, I think it is the right decision. I think uh, Coventry underlines the fact that Gazaniga's always got a couple of mistakes lurking sort of within himself. Um, and I think just to go back onto Jamie Faulkner's statement and I, and I think to follow up yours Sammy I think that I was actually debating this with myself earlier you know I have a really fun time when I'm not on the podcast Um <laughs> it's just basically like I think this thing with South American goalkeepers and goalkeepers that have had some sort of education in Spain as Gasaniga has tend to have a very different style of goalkeeping to the ones you traditionally see in Europe and in the Premier League and I think that they tend to they tend to punch more and they tend to use their hands a lot more or and in some instances of David De Gea, for example, like to use their feet a lot more than a traditional goalkeeper would. And I think that there's one thing to say that our fan base just like to have the security that Rodak offers in that he likes to catch quite a lot. He likes to command his box quite a lot. And I don't think he's scared to to put himself about where I think Gazaniga is much more comfortable with punching away rather than trying to collect and take the hit. And I think that's just something that's maybe ingrained in him from such a long time, obviously being in Spain and also coming from Argentina. So... I feel more comfortable with Rodak there and I do think it's the right decision. I think he also offers some great communication. He's always shouting, whereas you never really saw that from Gazaniga. But I think it is literally like paper thin between both of them. Um, uh, I think, as you said, Sam.
2: Yeah, there was a moment in the second half where Rodak was absolutely livid. I don't know if it was with um, with Ream or with Robinson. It was certainly towards the left-hand side of Fulham's defence. and He was giving them an absolute bellowing. Um, Dan, let's come on to the first goal because Ben and I didn't see it. Um, Lovely finish (laughs) from Mitrovic. I have now watched it back. Uh, We saw it in the concourse at halftime and and studied it as forensically as we could. Uh, It's, it's, it's a, they, they said it on the quest show, just a classic championship goal. He brings it down fantastically with his chest it doesn't look like there's an awful lot on Dicky. kind of is playing him the wrong way and you know they said that Dicky was one of the best uh, centre halves of the championship well even even the great Rob Dicky can't deal with Mitrovic when he's on form like that
1: no it, it, they they couldn't handle him at all yesterday I thought I thought Mitrovic was, was fantastic and I thought the first goal, as brilliant as it was from him, I mean, it is really poor from Rangers. I mean, the, to to allow a man who, going into the game, had 10 goals in 11 matches this season for us, to allow him that space in the box, he's brought it down and he's had no pressure coming from the other way. Um, I mean, the way he swivels and finishes is is fantastic, but yeah, it, it was really poor from Rangers. I thought with the build-up to the goal as well, a note on that Seri ball, which was... Just delicious in between that channel over the top of their back line out to Niskins. I, th- I thought I thought Jean-Michel Seri was fantastic yesterday, and and there were a couple of moments in the game where he just showed his class with with passes like that. Um, but it was the great a great way to start, and it was prime Alexander Mitrovic in the championship.
2: Yeah, Jack, I felt like. and I've said on a few podcasts that Mitrovic has been in second gear this season, even the Swansea game. I kind of felt like he wasn't at his absolute best yesterday. I think he's finally found top gear. Um, Also on that quest show, Colin Murray was debating with Ian Holloway as to how many goals Mm. he can score this season. I think Ian Holloway went with 34. Colin Murray said 35, although Holloway did um, pull his pants down and say you were saying 40s until you bottled it uh, on the show. Um, I mean, look, it's 12 for 12. I don't, he's obviously not going to score 46 goals, even though that's what he's on target for. But you do have to wonder, Ivan Tony scored 31 last season. Could Mitrovic break it?
0: It's certainly doable. Um, and, and the, the rate at which he's playing at the moment, it seems as though he could score every chance he gets. The thing I like about this goal is the fact that we saw something very similar to the game against Swansea where he took it down and he took the extra touch and then scored. But the ball is looping. From Adoy, it's not like a whipped crossing, and he's got that time and he's got that space, and I think Dicky should do better. But anyway, the point being is, I think that Mitrovic could probably, probably get over thirty this season. It's just whether he could stay fit, stay in the team. Hopefully, nothing happens when he's with Serbia in in November. So. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, Muniz is obviously going to be knocking on the door wanting to play a few games, but with Mitrovic on this form, there's no chance he's getting in the first team. Mitrovic right now is at the peak of his powers. He's 27. He's going to hit the prime of his career. And we're very lucky to have him in this division, hopefully firing us to the Premier League. Uh, he's he's just sensational. Such a presence. And we'll come on to the second goal because those two goals basically just summed up Mitrovic. Taking it down, swiveling, shooting, and then, of uh, uh, course, a, a lovely glancing-headed uh, headed goal. I couldn't be more happy for the lad. He's absolutely fantastic.
2: Yeah, it just goes to show like last season that as much as Parker did find a way to play and to make us hard to beat. And and look, he wasn't miles (laughs) off saving us. Yes, okay, it all went pear-shaped at the end, but certainly in March, it looked like he was going to do it. But the fact that his style of play didn't use a striker of such quality to his absolute best ability probably was Parker's biggest mistake really if he and, and it's definitely seems that marcus silver has built this team around Mitrovic, and it's 100 percent the right thing to do um before we come on to uh, the second and third and fourth goals ben we kind of need to talk about the response of queens park rangers i felt like fulham went into their lethargic 20 minutes towards the end of the first half it feels like we have this lethargic 20 25 minutes in every game um QPR hit the post, and obviously in the second half we didn't start that fast either. And sloppy ball from Adoy ends up with uh, Lyndon Dykes, who uh, I know you think is a bit of a fraud, uh, sticking it sticking it away. But I felt like we did obviously go on and win the game, and, and this part of the match will be glossed over. But once again, we do seem to allow the opposition to have this. minutes where they can get their tails up and more often than not it does seem to end up with the opposition getting a goal.
3: Yes I think you're you're completely correct I think Fulham often take their foot off the gas I don't know what it is with us we sort of have a really commanding opening 10-15 minutes and then we slow right down Uh, and it's a bit of a concern really because you kind of wonder if we sort of lack the tactical innovation to move up move the game into another phase or whether it's just the fact that we're so content with playing football. We know it can hurt other teams that we sort of don't find the motivation to put, to push on until it obviously someone hits us with a bit of a counterpunch. And I think this is why on in like maybe like a bigger picture and my bigger message is just that we really can put big teams to bed, but we struggle with small teams. I think the smaller teams I think Fulham really at times lack a little bit of motivation to sort of push them aside that we know we can. And it's sort of like an almost a little bit of uh Complacency um within the ranks, and I think that it, Fulham would be much better off if we actually use that sort of maybe nervous energy that we have or the energy that's just being expunged by actually going for that second goal to give ourselves more of a cushion. I think there are times where you just that Fulham just almost become that dad on a Sunday night that has had a couple of beers and just wants to sit in the chair and not do too much, and that's like we're twenty five minutes in lads, we need another goal. Um, but I thought Rangers, um, towards the end of the first half I and mean, coming out for the second half, definitely put us on the back foot. I mean, yes, they scored a goal and it's from our, our silly mistake. And I, th- I think um, a, f- a few more people might be more aware that Adoy may not come back into this team now. Kenny Tete is going to be fit in the next couple of weeks. However, I, I you know I think they put us on the back foot, as I said, for a couple of minutes. And it, it wasn't until they scored that Fulham really looked to throw any sort of counterpunch. And when they did, I think obviously three goals and a matter of minutes or two goals really in a matter of minutes and then a third one to top it off at the end um, really underlined the quality that we do have in this division but also it's just a glaring hole that obviously there's something going wrong there in the f- sort of like middle of the match and we need
1: to figure out why that is Tactically on it as well just just John's touching it slightly uh, what I saw I think that Marcus Silva really looked back on that Coventry game and, and tried to learn from it because cause Rangers play a similar formation that three back the 3 4 two, one. And what I saw in the first half was a concerted effort from us to keep the ball out of central areas, especially in the middle of the park. Uh, I saw a lot of Sari and Harrison Reed. their first ball was often looking to, to get it out to the flanks because of the congestion that was caused against Coventry when it turned into chaos. Um, and that was good. And it worked in the first half. And then... Mark Warburton made a really, I mean, a really attacking substitution at halftime. It's it, it very surprised that he, he whipped off Dominic Ball and, and threw on Lyndon Dykes, which effectively left Stephanie Hansen playing as a, a lone midfielder because Elias chair was dropped deeper, but he was not offering much in the way out of possession. And this is where, I don't want to whinge off we've won 4-1 but we've spoke about it um, me and Jam spoke about it after the Bristol City game of it just seems to take us 10-15 minutes to adjust to in-game changes made by the opposition and we didn't quite seem to cotton on to the fact that actually they were completely exposed in the middle and it took us conceding to be like oh hang on a minute Uh, they've got stephanie hansen trying to run the midfield on his own and then we just cut through them at will so it was fantastic that we adjusted but if we could have adjusted 10-15 minutes earlier we'd saved ourselves 10-15 minutes of stress
2: i mean yeah, are I think- you available dan uh you, you could <laughs> um, be in the stands and just be a kind of alarm maybe just like marco <laughs> Ma- marco they, they've changed it <laughs> it's,
3: do it's something <laughs> <laughs> I think that one of the one of the, also one of the biggest turning points in the game was when um, they took off uh, McCallum. I think it was, and they put on uh, another centre half, and they pushed out Barbe to left wing back, and you were just like, "I'm not quite sure why they've done that," because Barbe was actually having a fairly good game at left centre half, and when he moved out there, all of Fulham's midfielders and creative players just swarmed their back three and just completely left Barbe. To be completely exposed at a left wing back. I don't know why they did that. I think, I think it was literally like two minutes after they did that that we scored the goal, uh, our second goal. Yeah, because he gets he gets subbed off on 66 minutes and on 67 we score, and then we score again from exactly the same channel in the 71st. So I feel like although Warburton made a great substitute at half time and it really put us on the back foot, he then undid all that good work by taking off a left wing back who. Uh, was, you know, stable, not giving us too many problems, but then putting a centre-half out there, just completely mismatched.
2: And, um- Jack, let's just uh, come on to the, the second goal, which effectively swung the match back our way. It's a, it's a good cross by Niskins, but, but that header for, for Mitrovic is, is just glorious. And I feel like I've really missed that. You know, we've had some decent moments uh, at the Hammersmith end since returning to football, but Mitrovic glancing in one off, like that off the post at the hammy end was just the best moment since... I think since that Swansea game, uh, all that way back um, in in 2020, mm. it really just felt like a moment for me where football has returned. Football is back in our lives, and it's all for moments like this. And yeah, 12 and 12 for Mitrovic. I know we just waxed lyrical about him a few minutes ago, but that is just talismanic Mitro at his best.
0: It's the perfect goal, uh, a glancing header against your rivals in off the post. Um, but I actually want to hop back 30 seconds before that because Lyndon Dykes is suddenly getting away from Tosin Adarabio. Adarabio then comes across and makes the vital interception, which then gives us the ball back and which leads to the goal. So massive credit to Adarabio there because we were on the back foot and I was thinking, oh God, Dykes is is almost in here, but obviously Tosin recovers really well. But yeah, um, Cabano's ball, it's not perfect, but Mitrovic is so good at getting himself into space and, and uh, I can't remember if it was Devise, he came across, he just completely just just palms him off and heads it into the corner. It's not even like the most powerful header. It's just direct and it's just gone straight in off the post. And it's just like, that could easily just bounce out the other side, but it's gone inside. And the Limbs and the Hammersmith end were the best I've seen since, you know, Mitrovic, you know, against Swansea. And, you know, it's a derby and and we were nervous because it was 1-0 and I was getting frustrated thinking we're going to drop more points from winning position and that just set us on our way. And we were genuinely fantastic for them going on uh, going on from the second goal. Mitrovic, I can't, I can't speak highly of him. He's just so good. And Cabano, you've got to give immense credit to Nizkic Cabano. He's had such a good season for Fulham. He creates so much. He's so direct. He's so good. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's another one where, where Parker's just gone, yeah, you, you're off to Middlesbrough. Parker's got blood on his hands Uh, I think (laughs) Silva's just come in and just changed everything and I just love it man I absolutely love it
2: yeah Uh, there's a question here and I don't really know if there's much of an answer to it but it's a good point from Richard Smith he says what percentage of Mitro's goals would be lost to VAR in the Prem Uh, was there a foul on his marker before glancing the header yesterday for example I honestly don't mind I prefer football without VAR but is it why he's great in the championship I'm not I can see the point and I don't think either I don't really think it's an obvious enough foul for VAR to pull that up though, I just think it's a bit of poor defending. I just don't think you'd be able to shrug a defender off like that. And for the first goal in the, in the premier league. Um, hmm. but I, I, still believe that Mitro can cut it in the top flight. And I think still our first season in the top flight where he scored 11 goals, um, in, in eighteen nineteen is still an indication that he can cut it at the top level. Look, he took a lot of shots to get to that statistic, but still any striker that gets 10 plus goals in the premier league for a struggling side is still uh, worth their worth their weight in gold.
3: I don't know if it's that black and white. To be honest with you, I feel like that's quite a black and white statement. Where there's a, a questioner wants like a definitive, a definitive answer, but well, I'm not quite sure there is a definitive, definitive answer. I can't even say the word definitive, which is <laughs> mainly, mainly the issue here. But yeah, I, I don't think it's that black and white.
2: Yeah the third goal Bobby Decadover Reed um, interesting how we spoke at loads on the Thursday Club podcast about how well uh, Decadover Reed and Robertson definitely shouldn't be playing and then they go and get the third and fourth goals uh mm. typically that third goal Ben the ball through from Seri. I mean I just didn't even say I, I I was there in the stand I was like what I didn't even know that was an option that was on it's Uh, I have a needle stuff and a great finish from Bobby. I know that he had um, his problems finishing against Reading in particular, and a lot of people were, were calling it into question, but I do feel pretty confident when Bobby Reed gets into those. Moments we saw it a few times in the Prem as well, where he when he gets one on one like that, especially from an angle, he tends to slot it away. It reminded me a little bit of the goal he scored against Liverpool as well. Um, mm. yeah, just but it's all about the pass from Seri, isn't it? Just just out of this world,
3: yeah. It's a wonderful pass from Seri. I think yesterday he had a brilliant game. I think finally he's starting to turn some of the people that may not have come around to his good performances this season like sort of get him on his on his side. Uh And I think that yesterday really underlined the fact that the quality he brings in, as Dan said, the gu- the ball for the first goal uh, down the channel and in the air is a brilliant one. His distribution throughout the game is so good. And I think it's been brilliant all season, in all honesty. I think he's sort of like half a yard, maybe half a step above a lot of the midfielders in this league and his ability to understand where the ball needs to go uh, next and when. But And this pass is one of them. It breaks to him. He has barely half a second to make up his mind, but he already knows he needs to thread the ball through that, that channel of the wing back and the, and the centre half. And he does it expertly, lovely bit of weight on it. And then, as you say, Bobby takes one touch out of his feet and then bang across the keeper. And for us, Sammy, in the stand, looking down there, it, it looks so easy and it looks really, really nice in the replays as well. Great, like really nice cult- uh, cultured finish yeah. uh, from Bobby. And Yeah, I agree. If you get him across goal, uh, shooting in South of our corner, you know, I think you can always back him on that one. Um, it's just a shame that some of the other finishes he's not as good at. But uh, I mean, for me, like a sense of personal vindication because I bought a Jean-Michel Seri shirt three years ago when he first came to Fulham and I have <laughs> stuck it in the back of the wardrobe and it's never seen the light of day since. But now I think I can probably get away with it down the cottage.
2: You have made some risky shirt purchases. You 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 also bought a Yoko Anderson shirt
3: last year, which was obviously
2: he was absolutely mustard for us last year. But it was quite it was quite a risky purchase.
3: Look, it was just a one player in the in the whole of last year that I really felt that I could get behind. I mean, like I thought he had some brilliant performances. I think that he loved he genuinely loved the club. I think at times I think. Um, had we not gone down, he would have been here for a very long time. I think it's just a matter of circumstance. I mean, I think I've spoken about it on Filmish before. I have a very bad tendency for anyone that I get on the back of a shirt tends to leave the next season. So I haven't gone for anyone on the shirt this season. And actually, that black shirt is too nice to print up, in my opinion. So we'll leave that one as it is.
2: Yeah. Um and then the fourth goal, uh, there's not an awful lot to say about it, Dan. Um nice for nice for Robinson to uh to get on the score sheet for Fulham. Um broke well to him. Uh, have we got much more to say on this? I mean, it's a massive deflection.
1: It's a massive deflection. I think one nice thing about it is that uh by that point in the game, Rangers had genuinely given up, and Fulham players saw it as a fill your boot situation. Everyone was trying to pop up with a goal, um, which mm. is quite funny in, in in their big derby that it got to the point in the game where our team was quite literally just seeing if they could get their goal for the season. And I'm chuffed, and I think it's been a little bit of a a rocky period for him. So injuries, little niggly injuries here and there, and then performances he's he's been questioned. Um, and rightly, so, but I thought he was really good yesterday, and I thought it was yeah a nice moment for him to to get the goal and also to to dedicate it to his upcoming child,
2: yeah, yeah, a lovely moment and um I went mental for the fourth goal, Ben would testify to this because I don't know why, but i had a I had a moment of sheer um Genius at half time. I was chatting to Jack, uh, not Kelly Collins, at half time having a pint, and just at the end of the half, just before we we're about to go back up to our seats, I just went to Jack. I was like, "It's going to finish four-one this game." I, I I don't know why I did it. I just just I don't normally do that. Just suddenly come up with a random score prediction, and um, Jack and I even shook on it. And uh, the whole the last ten minutes, um, and Ben will testify. I just kept saying that like, I just really want this fourth goal. Really want the fourth yeah. goal. Just. And I got it, went mad, went way too mad, considering the moment that it was in the game. The
3: thing is that you, you've admitted, or omitted, sorry, one big thing from this whole agreement. You didn't bet any money or any pints on this result. So you were celebrating nothing but pride, yeah. which, <laughs> which in hindsight, considering went for beers after the match probably not the best thing to
2: do. Yeah, I was a little bit upset that we were, then went to the pub and and you said to Jack, oh, you owe, you owe him some beers and Jack was like, no. <laughs> That's like, like, plain rude and disrespectful <laughs> after the, the outrageous call that I made at half time that that was finishing 4-1. Anyway, um, We've got a load of questions to get through, um, but it's lovely to discuss a win. I just remember being in the same position two weeks ago after the 4-1 defeat against Coventry and just thinking like, this is so shit. So it's, it's amazing how football can turn on a sixpence. I
0: have to say, Sammy, that um, given it was an early kickoff and we won 4-1, I have to say it was really good um, to see all the fans in the golden line after tour, all, whatever pub everyone was at. Just... Having a just in a good mood, having a laugh, having a sing song, and it was just really good after two weeks of oh, I don't think Robinson's good enough. Oh, Fulham are not going to get promoted. Marcus is this that. Like it was the perfect way to respond to that horrible result in Coventry by the ex- exact same scoreline. And I just think the the Fulham fans are now back on side with with everyone. And after the game, everyone was just in such good spirits that we probably just went all night long.
2: Fair enough. If that's how you spent your Saturday night, mate, then, uh, then, uh, then good on you. All right. We're going to take a break and then afterwards we're going to get into your questions. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Jack Kelly. Hello. Dan Cook. Hello, hello. And Ben Jarman.
3: Hello, listeners.
2: All right, let's get into some questions then. Uh, Some fantastic ones coming through. So we'll try and get through as many as we can. Uh, Jaden says, should we experiment with other centre-backs alongside Tosin? An occasional rest for Reem is fine at his age. Uh, Dan, what do you think about this? I don't disagree. Although rotating centre-backs is a bit like rotating keepers. You don't tend to do it.
1: Yeah, uh, personally, I'm just not a fan uh, of, of rotation at, at centre-back um, unless you've got issues. Um, I think we've seen that so far this season, The although we've not had much to compare it to, the best pairing we've had is Tosin alongside Tim Ream. Uh, and I think messing with that too much just in terms of for the sake of rotation feels dangerous. There will be games this season where we are going to have to rotate, but I think it should be kept to a minimum in in areas of the pitch like that. I think they have a nice understanding with each other now. I think they're, they're, they've, they've come accustomed to how the other plays. Um, they're both very comfortable in possession, which is good, um, and so I think as much as possible if we can keep them together I think that's a good thing. The only flip side I'll say is that we do leave ourselves with this same issue again of is Tim Ream a Premier League centre-back? And if it comes to that and he has a full season at centre-back and instead where we could have maybe tried to blood Alfie Mawson back in and see is he a better or more viable option in the Premier League? That's a question that's probably fair to ask. But at the moment, if it's working, that's the key. And we've got a good partnership at the moment.
2: Yeah, that is definitely my concern going forward. And um, again, I'm. Um, scared to doubt Tim Ream um, because he's a nice guy and he uh, definitely felt like he had that twinkle in his eye of I don't know I felt like he maybe has listened to a few Fulhamish podcasts where he said he's not a Premier League centre back and now I'm scared um, so uh, I, I don't want to call it either way but it's definitely a thought process that entered my head that exact same thought Dan. Um, Bailey uh, asks uh, I'll go to you on this one Jack he says where does Tom Kearney fit into the team if Carvalho comes back firing and also with Wilson and BDR continued to perform obviously Wilson I thought was pretty effective in the 10 yesterday didn't grab any headlines but I still thought he had a good performance um, how does Kearney fit into this team of course made the bench yesterday it's great to see him back um, and we don't exactly know what kind of Tom Kearney this is now with with a long layoff due to injuries but yeah how do you see him uh, fitting in uh, for the rest of the season now that he does seem to be back to some sort of fitness
0: uh, oh, it's a tough one it's a nice problem to have Let's just say that. Let's let's start by saying that Ivan Caviar is probably going to be injured for the next couple of games. Let's just say, and if Tom <laughs> Kenny is going to be in and around the squad, there's an opportunity there. Harry Wilson can drop into a ten, which is great, but I think his best position is probably out on the right. So if you've got Harry Wilson on the on the right, Cabano or Bobby over Cordoverid on the left, <laughs> then you've got that then you've got that place <laughs> uh, in behind. So what I would do is I think if Fabio Carvalho is ready to play, play the kid because he's wonderful and he's brilliant, start embedding Kearney back into the team as a 10, uh, make a, maybe a substitution appearance on on Wednesday or against Nottingham Forest. He seems to love a goal in Nottingham Forest. Um, so where does he fit into the team? I think in that 10 position, you know, if you've got like Siri and Reid behind him, um, he can flourish, but it's a nice problem to have. You've got a really good youngster in uh, in Fabio Carvalho who can create and he can score. And then you've got the the wise head of Tom Kearney with his wand of a left foot who can just ping one from 25 yards out of nowhere and change a game. Yeah, just, just slowly, gradually get him into the team and then we'll see from there. We'll, we'll see what happens from there. I think that Fabio Carvalho right now is what we're missing, is that sort of in, in transition, obviously going towards the front line. And uh, yeah, push, push Wilson out wide.
2: Uh, I enjoyed that. It's Daniel Mann, the commentator, isn't it? No, it's it? not. Uh, it's
0: Gary Weaver and he did it yesterday because he, cause Bobby Decord cordova scored and like if you watch it back, it's Bobby Decord overread Like He doesn't even mess about with it.
2: He says it twice. <laughs> it's amazing. You yeah. know, he goes, Bobby Decord Cordova-reed. Cordova-Reed? Bobby D. cordova <laughs>
0: I was creasing honestly
2: literally I hear it every time now I <laughs> ever hear it on Sky I just go Jack Kelly Bobby Dekeld oh, over Reed.
0: just wait for the Jack and Joe show tomorrow honestly it's going to get it's gonna erased be, uh,
2: we, we maybe need to title it the the, the Bobby Dekeld <laughs> over Reed show show um, Ben I'd be uh-huh. interested to know your thoughts on the 10 position me and you had a bit of a debate <laughs> during the game yesterday about whether Wilson is effective as a 10 you like him there I'm not so sure I, I kind of agree with Jack that I think he's more effective on the right so yeah I'd be interested to know your thoughts about this this position.
3: I just like him in the 10 because I think that there's a certain element of creativity that he offers there that not really many others in in the team can do. Um, I kind of feel like because he plays a little bit more centrally for Wales, Welsh people, if you listen to this, please don't help me too much if this is incorrect, um, that he could probably start to start to create stuff from the middle there. And I think that there isn't anyone really as good on transition in the team as Carvalho is. Other than Harry Wilson. And I think that he obviously gives that incision, that little bit of burst of pace that maybe the wingers that play in the 10 don't. For example, like I like Bobby Reid in the 10, but I think that he's too much of a ball to feet kind of guy, where I feel like Harry Wilson's a on the turn kind of kind of player. And that's why I like him in the 10. I like that he can drift out wide into different positions and you can have Bobby Reed and him just interchanging if they wanted to, because I don't think we really want Cabano in the 10, to be honest. Um but yeah, I, th- I think Harry Wilson in the 10 could work. It's just, it takes a lot. It takes maybe like a few games for a winger to adjust to being in a more central position. And Harry likes to drift wider naturally anyway, but I, I like him there. And also I think that because he's got a good shot on him and he also is good at like almost thinking about set pieces that he could maybe create some chances there.
2: I mean, it's always just good to vary it up, isn't it? And I like the way that Fulham's um, depth can just keep opposition's guessing. And whilst it's not always great to, to rotate, maybe your center backs or goalkeepers, we alluded to the fact that Fulham just have so many options, so many different ways that we can hurt teams and, you know, Wilson can move to the 10, but now we've got Kearney back Carvalho. Maybe you can put Bobby Deckard over Reed can literally play like a Kevin Betsy of the, uh, of the front line. Just, just play him anywhere. The Swiss army knife. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great, great problems to have. Uh, Dan, Elizabeth says, should we stop worrying about coming uh, back from behind now? Uh, The win was in their sales after the equaliser, but Mitro managed to pull it back with a cool and skillful header. I don't know. It felt different yesterday. Uh, It's the first time this season, and there's not really a graceful way of saying this statistic, but it's the first time that Fulham have managed to... um, Turn around a game this season. Either we've conceded an equaliser. We've never been able to then go back and score a winner. Obviously, we're still yet to get any points from a losing position. So yesterday was a little bit of a milestone. Do you think maybe yesterday could be a turning point of the road of actually Fulham at least can recover a situation can recover a game because it did go in their favor and actually Fulham managed to turn it on a sixpence. And, and Ben alluded to the tactical switch that maybe helped us do that, but still mentality wise, I feel like it was important.
1: No, I agree. I was sat at a cup a few weeks ago after the Reading game on the podcast talking about this should we be worried. And I said that it's one of these things that we just need to Cross off as soon as possible, so that the players have it almost as a as a muscle memory, as as a confidence boost when we get into those situations. And I think we saw it yesterday. Our heads did go down after we conceded, and there was some dissenting after we conceded. There was some fingers being pointed on the pitch, but when we got that second the the buzz in the team and and the we we were just lifted and i think that's important because we can now take that into other situations that we find ourselves in like that later on in the season so i think it it was important and it may help with the situation where if we do go behind now in a game that we, we just have that little bit more confidence of, hang on, look, we can get ourselves out of this situation. We've done it now. We know how good we are. And so I do think it, that it was just one of those things that we needed to cross off. And we do also need to cross off coming from behind and winning a game. But it's small steps. And I think it was a really important moment. And it could be a really important moment in our season, just getting that done. Yeah,
2: it feels like a landmark win. I mean, let's go ahead and probably get battered by uh, the most out-of-form Cardiff on Wednesday. Uh, There's a couple of questions about the non-appointment of a director of scouting. Uh, If you haven't seen, uh, Fulham have said via the Fulham Supporters Trust and uh, Peter Rutzler tweeted this last night about how Fulham have suspended the search for a director of scouting. Uh, It does feel like a, a bit of an odd decision. Uh, Fulham seem to simulate that they think things are going well at the moment hence why they've put it on hold and um, we'll probably save some of this talking point for Thursday's pod because we'll have Peter on and he'll be able to give us some more details uh, if you want to go read his article about it just um, well subscribe to The Athletic theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod in the first instance but uh, you'll find the link on Peter's Twitter as well but I feel like none of us will do it a mad amount of justice because none of us really know the ins and outs about the director scouting at the moment so um we'll cover that on Thursday's podcast final one from Lawrence Craven uh that he says is Joe Bryan's injury the most eye-watering thing you've seen at the cottage in recent memory um, he absolutely thumps the post it really is one that just uh, gives you goosebumps and a uh, fair place for Joe he actually managed to get a foot to it as well which is the most upsetting thing it could have been one of the greatest goal line clearances in history but sadly he doesn't get enough on it and then he absolutely smacks the post so yeah uh, to the three of you is there anything that comes to mind uh, the one for me is um, Thomas Redzinci's Goal against Arsenal, where uh, he scores at the far post, and then he falls down the uh, the bank at the Putney ahead, and absolutely smashes his head on the uh, on the advertising hoardings. Is the one that comes to mind. So, yeah, anyone that anyone uh, with a suggestion here, Dan?
1: Yeah, I've got one. This is a, a memory from a long time ago. I was pretty young, but I have a memory of Ante Niemi being in goal for one of our games and coming out to the edge of the box to deal with the ball over the top and ending up landing vertically on his head. And I think we had something like 11 minutes of added time in that game. And that is one of the worst injuries I've seen on a football pitch.
2: Yeah, it was horrible. I think it was against Watford on Boxing Day. I remember it distinctly. And you knew he was okay, but it was a a horrible one to watch. Uh, Jack?
0: It's not eye-watering in terms of on the pitch, but off the pitch, the it was yesterday it was the froth to lager ratio in the <laughs> half time point i'm sorry it just wasn't good enough um, someone put it on their snapchat story and i was thinking that's for 5 pounds that's not good enough so we're out delaware north
2: <laughs> i mean that it wasn't maybe the uh, the answer that um that Lawrence craven was looking for but it's it the best answer, answer we ever could have uh, i mean yes and, and i i totally agree i totally agree jack all right slightly odd to enter the question section there um but uh, I, I enjoyed it nonetheless all right we're gonna take another break and then we'll look ahead to cardiff on wednesday Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Jack, Dan and Ben uh, in the break. I just, I just said to the guys, is there anything I've missed in particular? Um, and Ben <laughs> just said, <laughs> I don't know any more about this. He said, Joe Brian called me a coward yesterday on Instagram. So I don't, I didn't see this. I haven't seen this. So Ben, please explain.
3: It was this morning and I woke up um and I had a little bit of a hangover, probably like actually a fairly sizable hangover. I've been to the pub with you guys after the game and then I went home and then had a few more beers and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, Joe put up the Instagram story being like, oh, the last slide is me getting absolutely rattled by a post or whatever he says. And then I said to him, well played yesterday. Uh, that last slide looks like how this hangover feels. And then he just replied saying, coward. So I've been absolutely <laughs> done by, by my favourite ever player.
2: To be fair... um Getting an insult from Joe Bryan—he's like the James Blunt of like Fulham social media. It's like it's 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 a it's a moment of pride when you get insulted by Joe Bryan. His um comeback to um, Harry Wilson—if you haven't seen it on on social media the other day—is absolutely sensational. I don't know if any of you have seen this. So uh, Joe Bryan posted an Instagram during the international break where uh, he's on a boat and he actually drives the boat past the Craven Cottage. It's quite a cool photo. And anyway um there's a couple of photos of joe uh, harry wilson with the top comment uh, says uh, watch that fringe dot 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 <laughs> joe Bryan comes back says will do mate would have invited you but not sure your teeth would have fit on the boat <laughs>
3: <laughs> class
2: just it's sensational. Just sensational. I I might make it my mission in the next couple of weeks just to keep commenting things on Joe Bryan's uh, Instagram until I get a, a, a beautiful insult. And um, that's that's what I want. And I'll, I'll frame, you should frame that, mate. You should frame that and put it on the wall in the nice flat you've got.
3: I think I might do, actually, yeah. Uh, um, I've, I, I, to be honest, I've always thought about how massive Harry Wilson's teeth were and always kept it to myself. So I'm glad Joe said it. <laughs>
2: Um, other one from yesterday, by the way, that we didn't mention, Stephanie Hansen back at the cottage. Jack, I thought that the Hammersmith end gave him a nice ovation at the right moment in the match. Of course, it's a, it's a little bit of a weird one because he has gone to a near neighbor, <laughs> but it's Stephanie Hansen. We do like him. And I thought he got his nice round of applause and, and everyone was able to uh, kind of acknowledge what he'd done and then move on.
0: Yeah. It was like right at the end of the first half, he had a, um, they got a corner and he came over and, they clapped and then we went, oh, Steph, and we went, oh no, let's probably not sing that because he plays for QPR. He actually could have made the interception to John McHale's pass to Bobby Deakwood over Reid, but I think it just went under his foot or he didn't really go for it properly. And it was interesting to see how him having some really friendly conversations with the players after the game. Understandable, of course, but if I'm a QPR fan, I would be furious at that, but it was nice to see him back.
2: Yeah, I saw I, that, a couple of, People said to me in the pub, oh, did you think it was strange that Stephanie Hansen didn't applaud the Fulham fans after the match? I was like, could you imagine the yeah, meltdown on Loft, yeah. on Loft for words <laughs> if um, if Stefania Hansen <laughs> went round applauding all the, Fulham player, all the Fulham fans after they lost 4-1? I think um, he was in a difficult situation. I think he uh, did the best he could. All right, Cardiff on Wednesday. And Dan, to say that Cardiff have fallen off a cliff um, doesn't quite put it. Strongly enough, um, a three 0 defeat in the South Wales derby today. They were already had lost four in a row before today. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Wednesday now,
1: yeah. It's it's classic Fulham, isn't it? It's uh, why the podcast is called cool what it's called, but um, I yeah, it's going to be a, a tricky one, I think. their early season form was a bit of a false indicator partially because they were winning games through set pieces alone. Um, I mean, there, there was something ridiculous. I think it was their first eight goals this season were all headers, which <laughs> is the most Mick McCarthy thing you could possibly think of. And, you know, you look through their numbers and they're one of the worst teams in the league when it comes to pass success rates. They're one of the top teams in the league in terms of how many passes are long balls, most crosses, all of those sort of stats that you know that you're going to get from a Mick McCarthy side. Um, and I think we've got to be wary, um, but I think the promising thing is is that we've actually seemed to deal with aerial bombardment pretty well at times this season when we've had to. Um, I think Tosin showed it particularly against Birmingham. I think that was the key one when they really tried to target us with Lukas Jutkovic particularly, um, and he was a man mountain that day. And I think we're looking for a similar performance because we're going to be put under pressure from set piece situations, and if we can deal with them. And then allow our technical quality to show on the pitch, then we should be coming away happy.
2: I guess Ben, the fear in this game is Aidan Flint's knocking one in from a corner in the in the twelfth minute, and then them holding on. That is that is the fear. That's the way that you could see it going. And then it's just a really really horrible match. If Fulham take the lead, I'm I'm pretty confident that we'll get a few more because this obviously is a Cardiff side in crisis.
3: Yeah, I think I, I would agree with that. It's uh it kind of feels like the script's going to go one of two ways, as you rightly said. And Cardiff always had a massive, uh, sort of like massive threat from set pieces, and obviously they've got a manager and have had successive managers that love a set piece. So it's kind of you get what's on the tin. It's like the uh, Ron seal of all Championship clubs is old Cardiff. <laughs> but I think like the one thing that uh, stood out for me was that I was reading their. Um, sort of like championship review for the sort of like first third of the season, I think it was. Uh, Some guy called Sammy James wrote the Fulham Fulham one, so I thought I'd read all of it. Uh, And the guy guy gave Cardiff three out of ten for the whole season. I think he said that they won their first two games and have won non drawn five and lost five since then. So it's really a dire straits for them. And I think that it's either going to be the fact they lost 3-0 to Swansea today is going to be the nail in the coffin for Uh, for McCarthy and he goes and we have to contend with a new manager bounce against a team that wants to impress a new manager or Fulham are going to be the final final nail in the coffin for McCarthy on Wednesday. And we boot yet another dinosaur out of football and let's (laughs) hope it's the last one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Who's the last dinosaur we booted out of football?
3: I don't know. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know, just dinosaurs out of football is always good for me. (laughs)
2: Um, Jack uh, your thoughts on on Cardiff and and, and their threats Um, I mean there's not too much more other than Aidan Flint's head but um, yeah I mean Kiefer Moore got got a goal in him hasn't he?
0: No look Kiefer Moore is the threat um, especially up front Uh, I watched a game today and Cardiff started okay I think they had one chance uh, which was saved by the keeper but but apart from that they were woeful Uh, Nelson uh, Morrison, Flynn, all at the back. I think they played something like five centre backs and two CDMs or something for the last few games. They've had some injury crisis in some in somewhere, which, but I'm not too sure. I mean, Cardiff have been woeful. Uh, but their last game before the international break was against the Reading team, who I think got like one shot on target in the whole game. Won the game and Cardiff battered them, so they were unlucky in that game. But they today they were poor against Swans. Um, I expect to wake up tomorrow to see Mick McCarthy sacked, honestly, after the Swansea game, given it was a derby, given they lost it in in the fashion they did. Um, But then again, it's a very sticky game. And if they come here and make it difficult for us, and they, like you say, get an early goal, it will get frustrating. But I think we have the talent and just the ball control. And I think we'll have the majority of the possession, even though we didn't yesterday, We'll have the majority of the ball and hopefully that'll be enough to break them down. And hopefully we see the likes of Fabio Carvalho come back into it as well.
2: Yeah, I I guess from a a Fulham perspective, Dan, um, it would be nice to get another player returning to the fold, a Kenny Tete or or a Carvalho. Um, There was a lot of questions. Again, you know, do you think this Carvalho thing's real? And we spoke about a few weeks ago that toe injuries aren't ones to necessarily take likely you break your toe and see how much you like it but also the whole jam tomorrow shtick from the club with Carvalho or oh, he's back next game uh, yeah, next game he's back is getting a little bit boring now just give us the facts. stop saying he's gonna be back next week please
1: yeah especially when you say during, before the international break, you know, we've got two weeks off. Oh, he should be fine after the international break and then he's not. He's a bit annoying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you do have to be careful with these things. And, and as I think it was Jarm said it last time, you know, especially with young players, you just got to be careful with them. Um, but I think, yeah, it was, it was great seeing TC back in the squad uh, at the weekend, it was a shame he couldn't come on because of the, the injuries we had. So yeah, it would be good on Wednesday if we could maybe see a bit of him, if we could have a, a Carvalho potentially on the bench, that would also be great just to see these players coming back. Uh, but um, the one I'm most looking forward to is, is is when we finally get Kenny back. Kenny Tete is the one I'm looking out for.
2: Yeah. I guess maybe a, uh... A Cardiff side with all of their big centre backs with a few points to prove after uh, Wednesday's games. Maybe not the one for nice delicate T C and Carvalho to come back he to anyway. Up. Maybe maybe save them for Forrester uh, uh, the game after. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be gutted uh, to to not see them uh, get a run out on Wednesday. Well, we'll see what happens in that match. And that's all we've got time for on the podcast today. Uh, it's been really really great just to get back to winning ways and um, for us all to have a small smile on our face uh, on the podcast and hopefully you had a smile on your face listening to the podcast too today. Uh, Ben, final thing we need to do is name the podcast. So what would you like to go for?
3: I'm going to go for It's Happened Again because I had such a great time singing It's Happened Again, again and again yesterday. So yeah, It's Happened Again is the podcast title.
2: It's one of those chants, which it doesn't even really make an awful lot of sense, but I love it every single time. And it can only work in this, uh, in the specific situation against QPR. And one day the, the run against them will end, but the longer it continues, then we can keep doing that. It's happened again, chant, and fingers crossed. We can do it at uh, Loftus road or uh, the Cayenne Prince foundation stadium, as it's now called uh, later on in the season. Well, thank you for listening today. And thank you to my guest, Jack Kelly. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Sammy. Thank you.
2: I hadn't realised it'd been so long since you've been on a pod. What an excellent little uh, win run you've got there. Liverpool, then QPR.
0: No, I was actually on it for Reading at home when we lost. I was just saying the last win I've been on the podcast was Liverpool away. Sorry about oh, that. so maybe maybe <laughs> your run
2: isn't maybe your run isn't that good. I still have I I've yet to see Fulham lose this season actually, which is uh, which is a nice thing. Oh, actually, speaking of, I meant to mention this earlier. A couple of people saying, "Can I sound the horn today?" I have a new rule for the horn, and I, I thought maybe I should put down the, the the ground mark for the horn. We have to be a top of the league, and we have to b win three in a row. If that ha- if that happens, then the horn gets played. But until then, no more horn. Okay, I feel like I have. To, I can't play the just, horn. I can't play the. I'm not playing the horn. Not playing the we'll horn. Just okay. Rangers. Horn. Play the horn. No, horn. no horn. No horn. Top of the league, three in a row. They're the new rules. Uh, Dan Cook, Ooh. thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Sammy. Uh, and Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thank you
3: very much, Sammy.
2: Well, you don't need me to say this, but have a fantastic start to your weeks. Come on, you whites. You
3: right. whites. Toodles.